from Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apatha, our sister, and Archippus, our follow, fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but for your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive, me, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes anything to you, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you, your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Arstacharis, <laughs> Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. If you haven't gotten there, uh, like I said, uh, Philemon, we're starting a series on the book of Philemon. And um, before I dive into that, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to um, uh, just mention that today is Reformation Sunday, okay? And so Reformation Sunday is uh, that time. Come on in, kids. Go ahead, come on in. Uh, this is the uh, uh, day where in uh, 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the church door in the city of Wittenberg, and uh, it was him looking to actually reform the church. And, and the issue that he was really concerned about was the uh, sale of indulgences, and um, uh, he wrote 95 theses about this. If you've never read the 95 theses, let me encourage you to do that, okay? It's really not that long. It's not that hard. You can just look it up online. It's just Google Luther's 95 theses, and it's pretty fascinating reading there. And you can see where Luther was then, and then that was the beginning of what has become known as the Protestant Reformation. So uh, October 31st is a, is a big day on the calendar for those of us who draw our heritage from the Protestant tradition of Martin. Luther here, so I wanted to point that out. The other thing I wanted to point out is I want to say thanks for uh, the, uh, all the musicians, how they work each and every week, and hard, they work hard every week. And then this week,
week was a little different. We uh, added uh, a little bit more singing because one, one thing we're going to do in the future is we're going to have these fifth Sundays. So every time there's a Sunday or, there, or there's a month with five Sundays in it, we're going to uh, do, we're still having an uh, internal discussion about what we're going to call this thing here. Um, uh, Pastor Michael has his suggestions, and I have my suggestions, and we're arm wrestling over it. Uh, but uh, since I have the microphone right now, we'll just call it Respite Sunday, and then next time he has the microphone, he'll tell you what he wants to call it, I'm sure. But it doesn't really matter what we call it. Uh, we we uh, want to just have this Sunday uh, once, you know, every time this comes up, where uh, in the future. We'll probably pare down some of the ministries that are happening and things like that so that the teachers and stuff, they can just enjoy a Sunday of extra singing and worship and things like that. So that's why we had a little extra singing today. We're, we're rolling this out as a soft launch kind of uh, whenever there's a fifth Sunday. So I appreciated uh, all of the participation. And one thing you need to know about Pastor Michael is, is you know, other than the fact that he messed up the timing of the song, um, you need to know that, uh, and the reason why I point that out just to tease a little bit, is that um, I, I'm really proud of him. A lot of things that people don't realize about him is that uh, when he came to the church here, he didn't know how to play the guitar at all. He's, he's worked hard to learn an instrument to serve us. And so he said, hey, here's a way that uh, maybe I can, I can fill in a gap here. And so he's worked hard. There's times I'll, I'll look across the aisle and he's doing his guitar lesson on Zoom and things like that. And so I'm really grateful for him and all the musicians who work really, really hard uh, to give us great uh, worship music each, uh, each Sunday. And even, even putting clapping up on the, uh, on, the, on the thing, that's helpful to us because, you know, uh, none of us are really rhythm-oriented, or at least I'm not, okay? So I appreciated that. So anyway, let's dive into this. You know, I've been looking forward to this series here since we finished the Acts series uh, last uh, in the spring. I think it was in May. And, and, and like that series, uh, you remember, some of you remember that uh, my friend, uh, Chris Bronze, who's a pastor down in Illinois, he taught through Acts the same time we taught through Acts. We uh, collaborated on the sermon series, and we've done the same thing for Philemon. This is something that as soon as we were done with uh, Acts, we said, we need to do this again, and we began to, to think through what book we wanted to do, and so uh, we knew we wouldn't have a lot of time, and we both really appreciated the book of Philemon, and so we've collaborated on this series for Philemon, so as we look at this short letter over the next four weeks, so will our brothers and sisters be looking at the same uh, text of Scripture down in Stillman Valley, Illinois. So I've been really looking forward to this for several months now. To get started, let me give you some background of the book. I have a map up here, and this is going to show you the, dif the distance between where some of these locations are. So we have Rome here, if, if uh, my clicker... Oh, man, I think the batteries are dying on this thing. Um, thank you. You see Rome over there, okay? That's Rome. And then all the way over to Colossae, okay? So if you go all the way in Colossae, it's past Ephesus, all right there, right there. Boom, there it is, okay? That's about a 1,200-mile a, a difference between the two. And those two cities are going to be key in this book. And, you know, this is a very short book, as we said before. It's only about 460 uh, words in the uh, English translations that we have here in front of us today. 
and we have to remember that when we're looking at a book like this, that people in the first century, they lived in such a different age. And, and this is an ancient letter. It was probably written about 62 AD. But even though it's, it's a different age, there's still many things that we can uh, get from this. And, and one of the things that you'll probably pick up on this a little bit is that uh, uh, slavery is kind of mentioned here. And, and, and this really is a letter about an escaped slave uh, who, who ran away. Okay, but little is said about slavery here, and that brings up all sorts of questions and context. And so instead of taking time to go through each of that, in the sermon resources section on Church Center app, okay, there's a handout. I have a couple documents in there. One of them is uh, uh, an article that Tim Keller wrote on slavery in the Bible and uh, understanding uh, the difference between how we as uh, people in America would think of slavery right away versus what was happening during this time. And then there's another document in there that talks about how that uh, it would be helpful for you uh, to interpret the book of Philemon. And so let me encourage you to go on that sermon resources uh, section on church app and you can download those things. If you don't have access to that and you you don't want to figure that out, just send me a note and I will uh, send you those documents there. So I won't spend a lot of time answering questions about slavery, but there are resources that I have prepared for you for that. But we have to remind ourselves that all the scriptures God breathes and it's profitable for all of us. So even though it goes to, it was written to a different group at a different time, it, it's still applicable for us. And so uh, we're going to see timeless truths that are very powerfully applicable uh, to something uh, uh, in our context today, and that's conflict resolution here. And so one of the things that we do is we, we look at a passage, how it was meant to its original audience and its situation. We distill the truths from that that were applicable to them and then to every situation, and then we apply it to ourselves. And so briefly, from what we can tell, here's the background, a real quick background of the book of Philemon. Paul led Philemon, who was from Colossae. He was a Colossian. He led him to the Lord. Uh, we don't think that Paul ever visited Colossae. It was probably during the two years at Ephesus over there that they connected. Um, and, but we know that Philemon became a Christian because of Paul's ministry. It appears that Apphia, who's mentioned in verse 2 there, is the wife of Philemon, and that Archippus was their son, and that now he is the pastor of a church that meets in their house. So we have Philemon married to Apphia. They have a son, Archippus, who now Archippus is the pastor of the church that is meeting and using the home of Philemon and Apphia. That's what we can piece together here. Years later, after all this church has started and things like this, one of Philemon's slaves, Onesimus, escapes and fle uh, flees to Rome, okay? Possibly taking some money with him or some property of Philemon with him and uh, to sell along the way. Now, Rome would have been a perfect spot for, Phi uh, for Onesimus to go to because uh, he would have been able to hide. It was the largest urban area, and it was a great distance from Colossae. Like I said, it was about 1,200 miles away. And so, however, somehow, and we don't know, and there's been theories about how that this could have played out, but somehow, in God's providence, Onesimus meets up with Paul, okay? Uh, one person, uh, one commentator, he went through this whole story about how that Onesimus got caught stealing and gets put into prison for a short time, and then Paul's there. Listen, it's all conjecture. We don't know. The only thing we know is that Paul somehow connects with Onesimus in Rome, and Onesimus becomes a Christian, okay? And so, uh, though 
Onesimus proved very valuable to Paul in Rome, Paul thought it necessary to send Onesimus back to Colossae. And this would have been a dangerous journey, as I said, 1,200 miles. If you want to do this in, in contemporary, uh, that would be like a journey from here, Madison, to Austin, Texas, okay? And so that would be about 1,200 miles. This was the journey that he told him to go into. And even though it was dangerous, it was necessary. Now, from a human standpoint, the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus could really not have been strained any more than what it was. Onesimus wanted out of Colossae badly enough to escape and go as far from home as possible. And in the process, trust was completely destroyed. There would have been pressure from the community that Philemon felt was to make an example out of Onesimus and certainly not to reward him in any way. And so when Paul is telling Philemon to receive him as a brother, there would have been incredible societal pressure for Philemon to do the exact opposite. The economy of the ancient world, whether we like it or not, and again, Keller's article will be helpful on this because the slavery we think of in terms of what was going on in our country uh, is not the same type of slavery that is being talked about here. But the economy of the ancient world rested on slavery as much as our current economy relies on things like the stock market and the banking system. And so the cultural and economic implications of how Paul said that Philemon and Onesimus should be reconciled was simply enormous. And we we need to have that understanding as we look at this book over the next few weeks here. So with all of that background in mind, we can see that this book directly addresses conflict resolution. And it's not just any conflict, it's very significant conflict that has social, economic, ecclesiastical, that means church, or deeply personal ramifications. So with understanding that, let me give you a thesis for the entire sermon series, and then we're going to work through it over the next four weeks. So we're going to work through this statement over the next four weeks. Resolution for any conflict is possible in a community that is committed to Christ, full of joy, motivated by love, and characterized by grace. So now you see where the next four sermons are going to go, right? Okay. So resolution for any conflict is possible in a community that is committed to Christ, full of joy, motivated by love, and characterized by grace. So before I really dive in, I just need to give you some words to define here, and then one quick caveat. Conflict, I mentioned there, it happens to all of us, okay? And so you may not be in a situation of conflict right now. You may be thinking, no, everything's going well. Well, every one of us has to deal with conflict at some point in time, whether it's in our homes, whether it's our workplace, even in the church. Maybe it's an athletic team. Maybe it's a hobby group that you get part of. Whatever it is, a school situation, every one of us has to deal with conflict at some time. So this is intensely relevant to us. I use the word community there. Now, while I primarily have the church community in mind, this principle applies really to any community. As I said, your workplace, your home, any teams, uh, whatever community you may find yourselves in. And then I do realize that when I say resolution for any conflict, I understand the word any there is a very audacious claim. I get that. Some of you have walked through and are walking through or maybe in the past have walked through some considerable conflict and some very deeply personal things where things have happened that are incredibly hurtful and incredibly difficult for you. I get that. But I do stand behind the statement because it's not based on my wisdom or experience, but it's based on the Word of God here, namely the book of Philemon. So here's the last caveat before we dive into the outline quickly this morning. Not all conflict will be resolved in this life. 
even if we, if you purpose to be committed to Christ, full of joy, motivated by love, and characterized by grace, I cannot promise you that every conflict will be resolved in this life. In fact, I'm just going to tell you it won't be. Even Paul, at the end of his life, in the book of 2 Timothy, he's writing about people who have left him. And he's writing about conflict that hasn't been restored. He mentions that thing. So I'm not going to say that if you live these uh, goals out, yet all of your conflict will go away. Simply because you can't make someone else be committed to Christ full of joy. You can't insist that other people are motivated by love. And and you can't uh, strong arm someone into being characterized by grace. But you can, and you should be, work towards those goals for yourself. So today's question is going to answer, when we look at this first part of the sermon series, today's question is going to answer, what does a community committed to Christ look like? You can see how that's the first part of this. So then that really brings up the question then, if we're supposed to be a community that's committed to Christ, what does that look like? So Paul helps us answer that question by intentionally highlighting four roles in our text here. Prisoner, servant, sibling, and soldier. That's going to frame our discussion today. So let me pause and and pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we've taken a long introduction here. It's a new sermon series, and so I had to spend more time uh, laying the groundwork here. And so as we have just a few minutes left, I pray, Father, that we would uh, be able to focus and and that your word would speak truth to us and that uh, we would not be distracted by anything else. But, Father, we'd be led by your spirit and sensitive to your spirit. God, as I preach, God, as as I teach this text, God, give me the ability to communicate in a way that's helpful, that is accurate to the text, that is uh, uh, free from distraction. And Father, I pray that at the end of the day that we would say that this was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes, that, that you helped us understand this text. And you not only just helped us understand it in an intellectual way, but, but your spirit applied it to our individual situation. And I, God, I don't know every person's life. And I don't know that at what every person who's either here in person or watching online of what they're going through. But what I do realize is that your word is relevant and your spirit is powerful and your spirit can take any truth from your scripture and take us in any situation where we find ourselves. You can turn things for good and you can cause us to grow and you can cause us to have peace even in a storm. And so whatever conflict that we're dealing with, God, I pray that this idea of being committed to Christ to be a committed Christ follower would ring true. And God, if there's someone here today where, where this is the first time or, or they're not sure where they're, they're at with you, God, may today be the day where they embrace Christ as their Savior. And God, we, we hold all these things in an open hand before you, knowing that only you can make these things possible. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So prisoner, servant, sibling, and soldier. Let's talk about a prisoner first. This is what uh, Paul mentions first. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. That's how he describes himself in verse 1. And so these four roles that we're going to talk about here for the next few minutes here is that, first of all, we must not be deterred by sacrifice. Now, Paul's self-designation here for Christ is literally different than any other letter that he has written. Now, one of the things we know about Paul is that he wrote many of the letters in the New Testament here. And so let me just show you here this graph, and you probably won't be able to read a whole lot there, but, but I just want to show you real quickly here of, of all the letters that we know that Paul wrote here, and look how he described himself. To Roman, he called himself a servant and an apostle. To 1 Corinthians, an apostle. To 2 Corinthians, an apostle. In Galatians, he called himself an 
an apostle. Ephesians, he calls himself an apostle. Philippians, he goes back to the servant. Colossians, now we're back to the apostle. The Thessalonians is just a very brief, quick little letter where he just introduces their names. But then in First and Second Timothy, he calls himself an apostle in both of those letters. Titus, again, goes back to the apostle designation. But here in Philemon, he doesn't. He goes back to this idea of being a prisoner. Now, why would he do this? Well, the reason why is because he wants Philemon to understand that he is willing to sacrifice for Christ. He's, he's, he's subtly, and that's one of the things that you'll pick up on Philemon, is how Paul uses a, 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 a subtle rhetoric in this that, that is very powerful. And he subtly is communicating to Philemon, listen, I I'm in prison. I'm in prison because I've been preaching for Christ. And he's preaching for the sake, and he's in prison for the sake of Christ. He's a, he's a prisoner who belongs to Christ. And so by mentioning his imprisonment, here Paul is making this appeal to Philemon in a very subtle way. He's saying, if, if I can take and I can face the harder task of being in prison, can you not do the easier one that I'm going to ask of you? So if I can do the harder one, can't you do the easier one here? It's a very subtle appeal. Now, what can we take from this? We can take from this that being committed to Christ is not easy. Sometimes it means enduring hardship. Sometimes it means being misunderstood. And in Paul's case, even imprisonment at times. Sometimes we've seen people lose their lives for Christ. Sometimes it means pursuing peace when we least feel like it because of what that person has done to you. Consider the anger that Philemon must have had towards Onesimus. I mean, here he was, someone who stole from him, ran away, put him in an awkward spot. And now Paul is writing a letter saying, I want you to receive him. And don't receive him as as someone coming back groveling for forgiveness. I want you to come back and and, and to be restored as a slave. I I want you to receive him as more than as a brother. This man has has repented of his sin. This man has has become a believer in Christ. Not only is he sorry for what he did to you, Philemon, but he he understands his sin before God. And now he is a brother. You need to receive him in this way. And so Paul, by saying, hey, listen, just remember, I'm a prisoner here. This is a unique designation that Paul does. It's not by mistake. And he says, you know, I'm willing to endure the hardship here. So you should be too. You should be willing to do this. And and if we're going to have any type of hope of conflict resolution in our lives, we have to be willing to do the hard, endure the hardship. We have to be willing to do what is difficult because sometimes that's the last thing we want. The last thing we want to do is have a conversation with someone. Sometimes the last thing we want to do is face that person. Sometimes the last thing we want to do is say, I'm sorry. But if we're going to be people who are, are committed to Christ, we need to be willing to endure hardship. And that first word, prisoner, is what Paul is saying here. We must be willing to endure hardship and not be deterred by sacrifice. What's the next designation? Servant here. We must prioritize serving here. Here we see it says to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, okay, and uh, then he talks about Apphir's sister and Archippus, fellow soldiers, church in her house. And then in verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ. So there's another prisoner in Christ. Jesus sends to you. And he says this, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And my fe- these are my fellow workers here. 
And so in verse 2, verse 1, excuse me, and in verse 24, we see this idea of, of being a fellow worker here. And Paul, he often refers to other Christians as fellow workers. He, he refers to them as, as people who are willing to serve and work hard. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, if we're going to be committed to Christ, and this is what we said, that this is part of, uh, of we can get through any conflict if we're committed to Christ, we must uh, be willing to work hard at it. It requires work. By calling Philemon a fellow worker here, Paul is reminding him that they are on the same team, and they're not to be at odds with each other. He says, okay, I'm going to ask something that's difficult to you, but I want you to understand, you're my fellow worker here. We're on the same team. And that's something we just always have to remember. And there's times where you get frustrated with people in your family. It, maybe it's a, a child or a parent or a spouse. And in that moment, you've got to stop. Instead of just harboring the bitterness, instead of just harboring the frustration, the angst, you've got to stop and just remember you're supposed to be on the same team. You, 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 particularly if you're married, right? You're, you, the Bible says you're one flesh. And, and so many times we let little irritations build up over time. And what Paul here is saying here is he's saying, listen, you need to remember that you're a fellow worker. You're on the same team. We should constantly be helping each other and supporting each other and encouraging each other, not tearing each other down or, or hindering one another. And so if we're going to be people who are committed to Christ, he, one of the designations and the roles that Paul, that Paul uses here in Philemon is he says that they are fellow workers here. Now, furthermore, more than just uh, uh, being, you know, Philemon and Paul being on the same team, Philemon tells, uh, excuse me, Paul tells Philemon, Onesimus is on the team. Okay, I want you to know that Onesimus is a team member here. And really, there's a principle at play here that is so crucial, and is this principle, that the eternal relationship should always trump the temporal relationship. Okay? And so what, what Paul here is saying, he says, listen, right now on this earth, the relationship that you have had so far is master and slave. But he is a brother now, and so that relationship needs to trump any temporal relationship that you have. And think about if we really believe that, how that would play out. And so even let's go back to the marriage illustration. And so um, my wife is my wife in a temporal sense, right? Okay, we're not going to be given in marriage for all eternity, the Scripture says. I, I think we'll know each other. I think we'll know that we were married. I, I believe that. The Bible's pretty silent on that, but I, I believe that to be true. But the, the, the relationship of marriage is not going to continue into heaven, okay? Now, that's the eternal relationship. My wife is a believer. I'm a believer. We're going to spend eternity in heaven, praise God. But, but the eternal relationship is going to be more of brother-sister than in Christ than, than husband and wife. Now, why is that significant? Well, that's significant because the, the way that we primarily and first want to look at each other is not my wife first and foremost, but she's my sister in Christ, okay? And so that's going to have implications on if I'm concerned about her spiritual well-being. That's going to be, have a concern about how I'm helping her, right? Okay, and not just having a, a certain order in the house. We're, we're, we're going to be investing in each other's spiritual lives because the spiritual relationship trumps the temporal one. The eternal relationship trumps the temporal one. So the same is true when we, we see each other and, and, and we're working through conflict with one another. We have to remember that, listen, for the most part, if, if we're talking with other believers particularly, we're going to spend eternity together, right? 
And this is why I, I don't understand why sometimes it's so hard to get through conflict because it's like, and I understand there's nuances and I understand that there's, there's things but that, that just have to be worked through. But, but, if, but if you're looking at a brother or sister and particularly if they're willing to work on it, then there really should be no problem here. You see, what Philemon is being urged by Paul is he says, listen, you need to receive Onesimus as a brother, okay? The eternal relationship has to trump the temporal one. But in order for this teamwork to work, they all have to be working together towards a shared vision or a common goal. It's the idea of we all need to be rowing in the same direction. There was a time uh, I went whitewater rafting a few times in my life, and it was just incredibly, it just a lot of fun. I loved it. I remember uh, going whitewater rafting out in uh, uh, Montana and Colorado. And I remember uh, you know, getting the instructions, and I was sitting in the front left part of the boat, and a uh, raft, sorry, and so I'm sitting in the front part there. And I remember the guide in the back, and he had been down the river many, many times, and, and, and he says, listen, I'm just going to yell at you and tell you what to do, and you just got to do it, okay? And we're like, sounds good, because we want to live, okay? And so so I'm, I'm sitting in the front left and everything, and then he'd be like, row, row, row. And so I'd be paddling, like, stop. And then I would stop and everything. And then we'd hit these rafts and these, these rapids, and, and, and we hit some really uh, high-class ones. And I remember uh, one time the guy sitting next to me, we hit one, we smacked. He flies out of the raft. And so I reached over and I grabbed him. I've got his ankle, and he's trying to reach in. His oar goes floating down. And so and then I'm hearing the guy in the back yelling at me to row. Okay, all right. And so now I'm saying, okay, so I'm trying to do this thing. And it was, I would have loved to see a video of it. Okay, it must have been incredibly funny, right? Okay, but he's yelling at me, do this, do that. Now, what if in the, in the, the scope of going down the river, you know, he's yelling at us? I'm like, who's this guy think he is? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm my own man here. I'm going to row when I want to row, all right? I'm going to stop when I'm tired, all right? No, what would happen? We would be all over the place. We could capsize. You know, you have to you have to be doing the same thing following the instructions, right? Okay? And so, so this is the idea here. The idea here is that if, if we're going to be serving together, we've got to be rowing in the same direction. The glory of God has to be our shared vision, right? And God is glorified when we serve him and serve each other. And so what Paul is telling Philemon here, he says, listen, you've got to keep the big picture in mind here. Don't get caught in the weeds of, well, he did this and he stole that and he didn't do this right and he said this mean thing to you and all this stuff. He says, listen, you've got to get past that and say, you know, Row in the same direction here. This is what Paul is encouraging Philemon. And it's difficult. It's hard. This is why it's called a fellow servant, a worker. I'm not saying this is easy. We've got to work hard at it, though, and work together, though. I must move on. Prisoner, servant. And then we have sibling here. You can see this probably in the text here when he calls Apvia our sister. Um, and, and, you know, it's not his biological sister. He's referring to a, a spiritual relationship here. And, and this has the idea of accepting and embracing family. Um, you know, some church cultures, they, they, they designate brother and sister title a, a, a lot. Uh, I've been on church websites where everyone's listed as brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and, and everything. And, and i got to admit, it, at, at times I, I would kind of like roll my eyes at it a little bit, when, you know, and like, you know, brother so-and-so, you know, brother JP and, you know, brother Mark and, you know, all this stuff. And, but, you know, um, I'm not saying that we need to change and start calling everyone that. That's not my point. But there is, there is some good to it. And, and it's a good reminder that uh, we are brothers and sisters, and we are part of a family here. And, and this is what the, this whole book is about, is Paul telling Philemon, 
the relationship has been redefined, okay? He's your brother. Accept him. I, I, you know, and siblings have a way of interacting with each other, right? Okay? I've got two brothers. My older brother and I uh, are much closer in age, and so we spend a lot of time growing up together. And, and um, you know, we would do the typical things that brothers do, right? You know, we would always encourage each other to read our Bibles and work on our memory verses together. And, and you know, we would do each other's chores and stuff all the time, you know. I mean, th- this was the home of, right? Now you guys are laughing because you know that that's not how brothers work, right? Okay, okay. There were times where, where we'd fight and we'd be arguing over things and stuff like this. I'll never forget one of the things my mom said to me. Said it to Jason too. Probably said it more to me because I probably needed to hear it more. But said, listen, if if you want someone to annoy you, listen, if you want someone to tear you down and be mean to you, I'll never forget. She said, you go out that front door. There's a whole host and a whole world of people that that's all they want to do is tear you down. But in this house, we are family, and you are brothers, and you will build each other up, and you will encourage one another, and you will help one another. Do I make myself clear? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know? You know that, what was mom trying to communicate to me is, listen, your family, your brothers, you should be your, each other's cheerleaders. You should be encouraging one another and building one another up. Don't tear people down. How many times is that true in our relationships, right? And so what Paul is telling Philemon, he says, listen, you've got to receive him no longer as a slave, but as a brother, okay? And then he calls Apphia our sister, and I believe he's very subtle in his communication in this. He's just saying, listen, here's, here, we're family here, okay? I want to have a family discussion with you here. Paul is not pulling the apostle card out here. Did you notice that? He didn't say, okay, I'm an apostle. Let me just lay this card right here on the table for everyone to see. So whenever what I'm about to say next, you understand it's coming from the apostle, okay? He doesn't do that. He appeals to them in a much more personal way. Would I even say familial way? He calls himself a prisoner, refers to people's fellow servants, talks about people's being sisters and brothers in this letter. Because the key to conflict resolution is that you see the person for who they are, who God sees them, right? And he sees them as a fellow brother or sister. So we embrace, we accept one another. Committed to Christ means embracing our family, starting with our elder brother, Jesus Christ, and it includes the rest of our siblings in Christ. If our elder brother, Jesus, has accepted our brother and sister, why do we think that we have the right to reject a brother or sister. You see, our older brother says you're accepted in the beloved, and it doesn't mean we overlook all sin. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, try to work through conflict and have to say we're sorry. Of course all that happens. But the point is, is that we need to be willing to work towards that, not just avoid each other and, and, and ignore one another. Not all siblings are easy to like, right? Not all siblings are easy to get along with. Some will disappoint you. Did you note the names that are listed at the end of this letter? Did you notice those? In verse 24, Mark. Remember Mark? Remember Paul's history with Mark? 
John Mark, the one who left him, and the one who then on the, on the first missions trip, and the one who on the second missions trip, Barnabas wanted him to come along, and, and Paul says, no, he's not coming with me. This is the same Mark here. This is the history here. And, 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 and they obviously worked through it, and he's talking about a, a fellow worker. He's on my team. We're rowing in the same direction. Later on, he's going to ask Mark to come to him, right? And so they obviously worked through it in somehow in some way. But family members, sometimes they bring up stuff, and it's hard to get along with, and there's going to be friction at times. We just got to work through it. Look at about another name here, Aristarchus, and then Demas. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? This name's going to pop up again in the book of 2 Timothy. And Paul is going to say that Demas has left me, for he has loved this present world. So this relationship that at one point he says, a fellow worker, this man, Demas, he's going to go and he's going to reject Paul and he's going to reject the gospel and he's going to leave. Part of being a family sometimes means pain, disappointment and hurt. And this is why I go back and I say, I can't promise that every conflict is always going to be perfectly resolved because I can't promise that everyone's going to do what they're supposed to do, but you can. You can be committed to Christ. And you can be committed to Christ by embracing sacrifice and being willing to be a prisoner for Christ and by being a servant and being willing to work hard at it. And you can, you can be committed to Christ by embracing your family and the sibling idea that we're talking about here. This means that we fight when we're tired and we can fight, uh, and we can only fight when we're tired when we have a larger goal in mind than just simply our happiness. Again, the love of God in our brothers and sisters must be what drives us, and that brings us to this last uh, designation, this last role, and that soldier. We must faithfully protect and defend. He calls himself, uh, Archibus, a fellow soldier in the church in his house. Here's a designation that is helpful here. We're called to faithfully protect and defend. We must fight against the enemy. And the last thing our enemy wants is for our church to have peace and unity. Okay? That's the last thing that the, church, that the enemy wants for your home is to have peace and unity. That's the last thing he wants because he knows that it's really good for his cause when there's disunity or when there's harm and when there's fighting. I mean, that, that's like just the perfect scenario for him. But when there's peace and unity, when there's forgiveness and when there's patience and there's long-suffering and there's forbearance and there's good communication, that totally undermines everything that he is for because it totally supports what the gospel is for in Jesus Christ. And so... This is why Paul, he will tell Titus in his letter uh, not to have anything to do with a divisive person after a few warnings. Better to lose one partner than have them influence and to corrupt the entire church, he's basically saying there. And so this is why we must fight for peace and unity and be willing to have those difficult conversations and protect and defend um, truth and each other. As I said, this means fighting when we're tired. We've had a lot to, to, today with the singing and, and uh, great truths in those songs. I, I hope that when we sing those songs, I, I hope that uh, you think about the words, right? I hope you let them minister to your soul. I'm just so appreciative of all the people who work so hard in that ministry. 
So we've had a lot of, a lot of biblical truth to think through there. We've had a lot of biblical truth in, the, in this, the background of this book as I'm just trying to quickly give you a background scenario so you understand what's going on here. But then, and then we're looking at this idea of being committed to Christ. Four roles that we've looked at this morning. Prisoner, servant, sibling, and soldier. My prayer is that we would be Christians and we'd be a church that embrace each one of these roles. Now, remember what Paul is asking Philemon to do. He's asking him to receive someone who has repented and to treat him as a fellow soldier, as a sibling, as a servant, and one who is willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Now, I have a concluding paragraph here that I'm going to read, but I put it on the screen so you can read it with me here. Philemon's decision regarding Onesimus is easy if he accepts the way in which Paul addresses him in the church. Likewise, if we accept that we are called to be sacrificial servants who are part of a family who must fight for peace, then many of our interpersonal differences vanish. Okay? So if, if, in other words, like I said, if, if Philemon accepts, okay, this is how Paul is saying the relationship should be, this is, this is how it's supposed to look like, then it's a foregone conclusion of what he's supposed to do. Because remember, Paul is just pleading with Philemon, accept him back. He says, I'm not going to command this of you, but I'm asking you to do this. Now, he puts the pressure on, but he says, I'm asking you to do this. And so Philemon has a choice to make here. And if he accepts what Paul says about how the relationship should be framed, then it's a foregone conclusion. It's so true with us. If we accept the same designations for us, then conflict resolution is not just something that is pie-in-the-sky thinking and lofty goals. It is actually something that should be happening all the time in our homes and in our church. So when we, care, when we are committed to Christ, as these roles illustrate, then uh, there is no conflict that is too great to overcome. 